Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Brian. We feel the need, the need to review Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Charles Parnell, Monica Barbaro, Lewis Pullman, Ed Harris, and Val Kilmer. Directed by Joseph Kaczynski in theaters, finally, in May of 2022. Expected to be a huge box office weekend. Budget was $170 million, which cannot in any way remotely include all of the marketing they've spent on this thing. originally supposed to be coming out in 2019 but obviously covid and Cruz insisting this needs to be on the big screen kept this under wraps till 2022 and bravo to keep the plot as in the dark as they have for three years that's a very hard thing to do but Cruz runs a tight ship as we all know but Lindsay, this was your idea mostly because of brian sitting next to you so first off brian introduce yourself to the film strip world yes your first time on (laughs) film strip welcome (laughs) well thank you very much thank you for having me here i uh i'm I'm a i'm a big fan of the show um as a matter of fact so big that i'll I'll date one of the hosts and and have been now for some time (laughs) I, 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 but I do. I, I really, uh, I always get to enjoy listening to it, and and usually, of course, uh, really just kind of hear her side of the show. Um, <laughs> but was was really kind of uh, honored, really, to to be included in something like this, and um, was was really impressed that she remembered. Also, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Liz, this was your idea. This, so do tell us the yeah. story. What's up with you and Top Gun? Well, um, I. First of all, like the original Top Gun, but I got an email from Alamo, who I'm on their email list, and they were like, hey, come see Top Gun early for you know an exclusive viewing or whatever. And I said, oh, Top Gun is one of my Brian's, the one sitting right next to me and joining us on this podcast, favorite movies. I'm going to surprise him with tickets to see Top Gun Maverick early. We'll have a great date night. And then naturally, I texted you and said... Hey, we're going to uh, we're going to go see Top Gun. You want to review it? And you were like, "Yeah." And here we of are. Of course, of course. I mean, as the oldest person in the room by a lot of years, I imagine. <laughs> uh, I grew up with this movie. I have an older brother. I've told that for years in this thing, and uh, he saw this in theaters because when this came out, he was. 16 so it was right in his wheelhouse and he took me to see it as a kid so i saw this then and grew up watching it i think i've owned it on three or four different media formats i mean it's just one of those things i knew and more importantly when my brother went off to college i inherited all of his music because he couldn't take it with him so i got the top gun lp soundtrack which i still have it's right back over here and so i know this movie as much from this from the music of it as anything but um when i i'd heard 10 years ago or so they were going to do this and so i was like yeah about time you know and it just sort of glanced and followed like are they ever going to do the top gun too 
And then when it got serious a few years ago, I was like, okay, cool. This is I, like Cruz is definitely in. They're going to try to, you know, do something cool. And, you know, he's bringing in some of the people he likes to work with. Okay. I'm down. And so, yeah, I was, I was game for this. So when you threw this out, I was like, yeah, absolutely. So now Brian, I understand you are a super fan of like Top Gun. This is like your thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan, you know, a super fan is, is, uh, is, is a little bit of a stretch, but I am, I'm absolutely a, a big fan of this movie. Um, you know, my, my personal opinion of this is that it, you know, it, it truly is, it's, it's an American rite of passage. I mean, you know, try to spell mm-hmm. America without saying baseball, apple pie, uh, Tom Cruise, F-18s and aviators. You, you just can't do it in, in my book. And, uh, and, and there's absolutely, this movie, uh, had everything it had, um, you know, growing up, uh, of, of course, as, as a younger kid, um, I mean, it, it, it had the sex appeal, you know, with everything that was going on. Um, it, it had the it had the the incredibly um, powerful Raptors and the MIGs. It had the uh, I think the F-14s is what I think they use in the first movie. Yeah, the Tomcats. Um, yeah. yeah and, and the fact that they were still able to kind of dogfight. Um, it was actually that movie that um, kind of inspired me to ultimately consider going down a, a path in that career. Um, it, I, of course I didn't go that way, but, um, it was just something I was always in awe of everything from this movie, from start to finish, uh, motorcycles, cars, <laughs> extremely fast planes, uh, right. missiles. It's got everything. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's the, the living legacy of Top Gun, um, besides all the machismo and, you know, all the modern, you know, 21st century deconstructionist retellings of what that movie was was and wasn't supposed to be the great Arthur late Arthur Tony Scott said it best was like it's just rock and roll mate you know and I love Tony Scott I'm a total stand for Tony Scott people that have listened to Matt Bledsoe's film feast podcast I've been part of his unscottable series but you hear me on other places I will always stand up for Tony Scott stuff but this is was my introduction to him and I think most people's too because nobody saw the hunger until afterward you know and now they've kind of tried to make that a thing but even he would have told you it was a terrible movie and he got the gig from Simpson and Bruckheimer because he shot a sob commercial with like a jet flying behind a sports car. And they're like, okay, that'll work. You know, and I mean, that was pretty much it. And uh, as with most Simpson and Bruckheimer, you know, flicks uh, back in the day. And we should, we should mention, you know, not only is Cruz behind this, but Jerry Bruckheimer's behind it. And Christopher McQuarrie, who a lot of people were introduced to when he wrote the screenplay for usual suspects won the Oscar for that deservedly. So, and has become a great director and writer in his own right. And he and Cruz hooked up on the mission impossible series, a few episodes back. And so that's why he was involved, but look, they, they had five different people write the script on this. And one of which is a name that I've talked a lot about in other film strip episodes. Aaron Kruger is a guy who has made millions at uh, writing scripts in Hollywood for years. One of his first ones, or really is really his first one is one of my favorite movies called Arlington road. I reviewed that and listened to that back in the archives, but um, he is really known for writing like big budget action movies. Yes, he did screen three, but that wasn't entirely his fault. Um, he, he wrote a lot of the transformers movies that everybody loves. So he's a guy you bring in to kind of punch up action for yourself. Macquarie had a ride at it. There's four or five other guys um, along the way. And who knows? Cruz probably wrote half of it, too, for all we know. Uh, but because he has a lot of say in his scripts. But, yeah, this is one that, again, I I had heard about they were going to do. And I'm like you, Brian, like I, this is part of sort of Americana. You know, Top Gun is just just in our pop culture osmosis. I think even people that haven't seen the movie feel like they know it because, Let's be fair. There's not a lot of plot to try to remember of it. And this movie definitely pays homage to that. We'll get into that. But it, because it had such great flying sequences and it was all practical effects because back in those days, there were no computer generated effects. It was the only thing computer generated on it 
are the tracer rounds firing around the the airplanes, which I've been told by more than one pilot, there aren't that many of them because if there were, you could really get out of the way of them. Uh, that's part of the problem. <laughs> but, you know, they drew that in rotoscope after the fact. But otherwise, that's a practical effect movie. And by and large, according to all reports, believe it if you want, Cruise was adamant, no, we're going to shoot this with real planes, real stuff, uh, probably everything but real bombs when it was all said and done. And, and uh, yeah. Did you at the beginning of, because I know you're fresh out of the theater from watching this, Jay, when we went to see it at the beginning of the movie, there was kind of a little PSA from Tom Cruise talking about yep. how he strived to make this the most authentic movie he could possibly make it with the real F-18s and is, you know, did a lot of did a lot of back end work to to make it happen. Yeah, he he did pop on the screen and do that, which I thought was kind of cool. And so I I wonder how long that'll run in front of this, but I'm kind of glad it did. It was neat. I'll, I'll actually reference that later on in the show because I have some specific thoughts about what he said. But yeah, I, I got to see that too. And I'd heard him say that in countless interviews leading up to it. So I expect no less when it comes to Cruise. I mean, the guy hung off the side of an airplane in a Mission Impossible movie. And when I found out that was like an actual thing they let him do, I, there's a joke on the internet that like in his contract, it's got to be if Cruise's life is not in danger, at least 51% of the time he's going to walk, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So go, going into this, I mean, again, though, I had seen one trailer and I, I avoided everything else, even though it was marketed to death and, and everything. I saw the first like long form two and a half minute trailer that they put out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. And that was all I needed to know. I didn't want to know anything else. I, I knew enough to know. Obviously, Miles Teller is going to be Goose's kid. Sure. And I don't know who the rest of these people are. And I don't care. There's there's Admiral John Hamm. Sure. We'll do that. Whatever. You know, I'm, I'm here for it. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. But the, you know, I'd heard the tease that Val Kilmer was going to make an appearance. And I was like, cool. He's probably going to you know die in the movie because that's what they would do. Mm-hmm. Guess that right. Who didn't see that coming? But I mean, you know, we the, uh, that was all I knew about it. So I didn't know much else going into this. What about the two of you? What did you know about going into Top Gun Maverick? I, I really didn't, you know, I, I'd, I'd seen a trailer, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago at this point, because this has been something that's been in the works for a while. And then of mm-hmm. course, when they had the pandemic, it, it really kind of slowed down filming for them, especially when they were very close to, to wrapping it up. Um, and, you know, personally, this, this is something I'd, I'd had mixed feelings going into it, you know, um, with, with everything that the first Top Gun was and, and, and just how well everything kind of played out. Uh, and, and just the way that I remember it and, and the way that even still today, you know, I, I love to watch the movie, uh, that concern about it being a sequel and, and really would it live up to that first one um, was something I, I didn't really want to get my hopes up in, in seeing a, a good trailer and thinking that was going to be it. And, and then, you know, kind of watching this movie and thinking that, uh, well, uh, at least I got the, the action scenes in the right. trailer. Um, so, so I didn't want to do too much research. I really wanted to go into this with as open of a mind as possible. But I was aware that, you know, a lot of times sequels uh, do not often live up to their originals. Most of the time, they don't. Godfather 2, one exception, I guess. Widely accepted. I- but yeah, for the, I didn't know much about the movie going into it either, except the actors who would be in it. I happened to be visiting my best friend in San Diego when it was being filmed. So I knew it was being filmed in San Diego. Um, interestingly, we literally just got back from seeing her because she's in visiting <laughs> from San Diego. <laughs> and I was like, you have to go see it. So now she's pumped because she's like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go see it and be like, I know where that place is. Oh yeah, been there. Um, 
And so, yeah, I went into this, I went into this movie blind and I was not disappointed. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll save the text chain that is going on between Lindsay and, me and, and Brian <laughs> from Filmstrip and and uh, our friend Alan from the Gridiron Breakdown that we kind of keep running. And uh, Lindsay had like a, I, I came back from a meeting yesterday and Lindsay had this just flood of text messages because I was going to go see this on preview night too, but then work intervened and I had to move my tickets to the night. So I actually got to catch it at a, at a late matinee today, uh, but I'm kind of glad I did cause it's super fresh on my brain. <laughs> and uh, so maybe I can remember more, but, but I, I remember Lindsay's like total text chain, which can probably be summed up with like this movie rules, go see it five times. And so uh, I'm like, okay, well this ought to be fun. So, cause it was Brian, this has to be a big change for you. Cause usually Lindsay makes you watch all the other garbage that we review. On the show. <laughs> Do you, you have no idea how many firebirds jokes we've made. <laughs> oh, to, to be to uh, teasing an episode not yet released, folks, but coming soon. If you listen to the Double Jeopardy episode, you know that one's coming. I was surprised that you guys were covering a film like this. Very, very unlike us. Every now and then, we do dust off a decent one. So, well, I guess we should do a plot summary and then get into the movie. So, I literally jotted this down on the Google Doc five <laughs> minutes after I walked out of the theater. So, this is f- super fresh. It's all I can remember. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by Tom Cruise, is still flying jets for the Navy after over three decades of service. As one of his superiors puts it, the never uh, not awesome Ed Harris, his refusal to be promoted, retire, or die <laughs> leaves him in a real predicament with the Navy who wants to move off of manned flights and go into drones and things. But as we learn, the only real reason he's able to hang around is his old wingman buddy, Tom Iceman Kaczynski, who's played in a short cameo by Val Kilmer, uh, who is now a four-star admiral and commander of the Pacific Fleet and keeps bailing him out when he uh, runs afoul of authority, which Maverick is wont to do. So when an unauthorized uranium facility comes online in an unnamed country and is an obvious threat, Ice calls in the only pilot that he thinks can train a group of past Top Gun graduates to fly the mission and destroy it. Maverick. Vice Admiral Simpson, played by the awesome John Hamm, is not happy about this and shows his not happiness on his face at every time the camera's on him. But he follows orders like everyone else except Maverick, and he lets Maverick start training the group of pilots. So there's the ones to know, there's a bunch of them, but there's Phoenix, played by Monica Barbaro, and her weapon system officer, played by Bob Lewis Pullman. That's Bill Pullman's kid, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, Hangman Glenn Powell, we're going to talk about that guy. Cocky as Iceman with the skills of Maverick, and he'll let you know about it. There's a few others. There's also Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, you guessed it, the son of Maverick's fallen best friend, Goose, from the first movie. Rooster and Maverick have a tumultuous relationship, to say the least, because Maverick has held back Rooster's career as a promise to his dying mother not to let her son fly and risk dying the way her husband did. Of course, Rooster doesn't know that, so he resents everything Maverick tries to teach him and constantly goes against him. Maverick also rekindles a relationship with Penny Benjamin, a dropped, dropped joke from the first movie, if you pay attention, played by the immortal Jennifer Connelly. Again, and against both better judgment, they kind of rekindle the old flame. So Maverick is right, though. These kids aren't ready for this mission. He's the one that should be flying it, especially when they keep increasing the timeline. 
But a visit with his dying friend, Admiral Ice, convinces him to keep trying. But when Ice passes away, Vice Admiral Simpson grounds Maverick and takes over training, knowing that the pilots will complete the mission, but most of them will probably not make it back because he's going to instruct them to fly a lot slower than Maverick was. Maverick, though, in true Maverick fashion, borrows a multi-million dollar F-18 and successfully flies a demo of the mission, proving that his method and plan are the right ones. So instead of running him out of the Navy like any normal person would do, Simpson makes him the choice uh, to lead the flight squadron and for his wingman he chooses rooster over hangman even though hangman's the better pilot uh, as a way to let him know that he trusts him and then two other pairs to be the radar lock team uh, they successfully fly the mission and bradley even nails the final shot that blows up the plant and we never think about that thing again because that mountain implodes on itself but when the service air missiles chase down his plane maverick intervenes and saves rooster's life but sustains damage and forces him to eject with superior aircraft heading their way, the group is ordered to return to the ship. But Maverick prepares to be shot by an enemy helicopter that's found him at his ejection location, only to have a rooster show up and blow it out of the sky before being shot down himself. Reunited on the ground, the pair find their way to an aircraft base, which had the runway destroyed as part of the mission earlier, and they steal a surplus F-14 Tomcat. They manage to get it airborne, and Maverick, with Rooster's help, guns down two superior aircrafts. However, when a third appears, and without any ammo or working ejection seats or much of working anything else on the you know, 50-year-old plane, Maverick apologizes to Rooster for not being able to save them, just in time for cocky hangman to swoop in, who was flying on ready alert, and down the enemy plane and escort them back to the carrier. Maverick goes back to his aircraft hangar home where he's restoring an old World War II fighter, having assumed that Penny left town with uh, her daughter, only to be surprised when they roll up in her Porsche. So Rooster hangs a picture with Maverick next to one of Mav and his old dad, while Maverick and Penny take a plane ride, sit to some Lady Gaga, and credits roll. And that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. There's a lot we left out, but we can get into it. Yeah. Um, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, we should have given the warning. I, I mean, you're listening to this show. It's in the intro. If you skipped it, yeah, this is episode 340. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, this is what we do. So, yeah, uh, spoilers hot. So, so I, I think it's neat to, just to start here is, and I was kind of blown away by how much they leaned into the nostalgia early on. Not only you get the little Harold Faltermeyer kind of thumpy score, but the opening credits, if I'm not mistaken, Brian, are like the opening credits of Top Gun, with the exception of the word Maverick that just appears at the bottom of the Top Gun logo. So so it's funny you bring that up. Yeah, I, I had the exact same thought, uh, which is uh, why at 6.30 this morning we put on the original Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> nice. And then go back and, and check. And, and it, it is very close. It's very close. If, if you go back and look at the old one, um, actually, what I picked up on are the celebratory takeoff dance moves are just a little bit different. Uh, yeah. and, and they do show a little bit more like gear locking mechanisms and things like that in the newer one. But honestly, it, it, it looked like it was even shot under that same kind of yellowed lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it seemed to be the same amount of time. Obviously, they were uh, performing the, the same stunts on, on, on deck of the aircraft carrier. Um, I, I loved it at hundred percent. I yeah. thought it was a phenomenal opening, but, but did have me fooled. I did. I thought they just lifted it off the first movie for sure. Yeah. The first thing I said was, Oh, the fonts are the same. And I was, yeah, they really are. The yeah. Dork. yeah. I know. Well, no, but like, no, that's the, I noticed that too. <laughs> no, I know. Have you ever worked in, in, in marketing? <laughs> and I have, I noticed that too. Yep. So, no, and we should we should say Claudio Miranda is the cinematographer here and can't cannot downplay his 
impact in the way this looks. He's worked with Joseph Kaczynski on several things. He won an Academy Award for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. This dude is is as good behind a camera as anybody working these days. He's a Chilean filmmaker and just does tremendous work. And that's one of the things that even Tony Scott would have told you that made the first movie great was uh, Jeffrey Kimball and and the flight sequence coordinators made that movie really what it was. Tony kind of had the eye for it and then they went and made it happen. But uh, Kaczynski's a good director. I've seen some of his movies and obviously Cruz trusts him, you know, and, and, you know, Cruz obviously gonna have a lot of influence on it, but can't, can't downplay what Miranda does in this opening sequence. Cause you're right. It looks very much like that, that opening bit on, I think it was, the, it was either the Nimitz or the enterprise back then. And now it's the Theodore Roosevelt. I think they're shooting off of, but that's real Navy people on that uh, carrier. That's what they really look like. And I know that because my cousin was in the original opening uh, on top of that aircraft. Really? He, he's one of the, he's one of the wave guys. guys. I, don't, I can't remember which one I'd have to like narrow it down again. And he obviously looks nothing like that anymore, but yeah, he talked about, you know, when they were on, on deck and you know how cool it was to be in the movie and then he saw himself on you know on the screen like everybody else so i was gonna say um, is he on the credits does he go to the very end and watch the credits roll and then pick out i, his I don't i don't know yeah he's somewhere in there I, I don't know i don't know where uh where he appears exactly but yeah um but anyway but i i did i did appreciate that that we i mean we get familiar beats and i think anytime you're doing something there's it's a 30 year sequel at this point that's a hard act to pull off not only a movie that looms as large as top gun but to even try to get into that is how how do you do it right and there's been some groundwork for that type of thing. Like I think a lot about the way JJ Abrams approached the force awakens and sort of the intro to that and how we kind of get thrown into that. There's a lot of very star Warsy stuff very early in that movie. And it sort of makes you feel like, Oh yeah, I'm back in a star Wars movie. Unlike, you know, maybe what you felt about some of the other stuff that, that had gone on in that series. So I think they're trying to just make you feel at home. Cause we got Faltermeyer, we get a little Kenny Loggins danger zone and, and all that. And we get the flying and taken off. And so, it's neat that they, they jump to that, but it's almost like a, I mean, it's a sequence that has nothing to do. Cause in the first movie, that's actually part of like, you're, you're presumably watching them take off and run their missions for the day, but it has nothing to do with where we start the movie, which is Tom Cruise doing some freaky, like hypersonic test pilot action out in the middle of nowhere. So I, I think it's neat that they decide to stick that little code on the front, if you will, or that little bit on the front, like, Hey, remember all this shit? Cause here it is again. <laughs> I mean, so we put you right back in that warm bath of Top Gun. Yeah. I, I don't know about you. The moment, the moment I heard that Kenny Loggins start playing, I mean, I, I just, I just felt so giddy. I, I this big smile <laughs> right? over me. I, that, that flight deck came on and I just knew I was locked in and, and I just thought this was going to be terrific. And, um, you know, that, but I do think the, the, the way they kind of handled the transition into the, the, you know, the, the Maverick one, uh, was phenomenal. I mean, like you said, it was it was a hypersonic uh, jet experiment with the SR seventy one Blackbird that's you know now been retired for, um, geez, I, I don't know how many decades now at this point. Um, but really, what the only stealth uh, high high flight uh, plane that that the military has ever really created, at least as far as we know, uh, as far as we know, yeah, it was terrific go. to see it back in there and and right mm-hmm. off the bat. I mean, they're showing us some modern experiment where they're they're pulling you know Mach ten right off the bat, and and that was brilliant. I thought to bring it into the yeah. modern age. I agree. It was man, the so it was so cool to see it in a theater and. Obviously, anyone listening to this right off the bat, it's only in theaters at the moment. But when he takes off to hit Mach 10 and it 
blows the roof off that building was mm-hmm. the coolest thing. But you're in a theater, so you're on a giant screen. IMAX would be cool. We've talked about hopefully Udvar Hazy will show it on IMAX and we'll go see it there, which would be like a whole right. next level experience. <laughs> but our, our local IMAXs have this going. I walked in and my wife was like, how was it? I was like, oh, we're going to see that on the IMAX this weekend. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's definitely one that that's a scene you can tell is obviously shot for IMAX. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to see it in that. The callbacks not even i mean the intro notwithstanding like all the callbacks from the original top gun were expertly done the pictures in his locker and Mm -hmm. the opening scene were were great you know and you have the jacket and the glasses and you're just it's just really gearing you up and hyping you up for everything this movie is going to be well, I mean, before there's even a line in the movie, it's like three minutes into the movie and you get you get everything you need to know about the last 30 years of Maverick in yeah. just a quick little sequence there. And I mean, Ed Harris is going to help that along in a bit. And that was in the trailer, I think. So everybody has, has heard the little speech about, you know, you've evaded all this stuff, but how is that? And I think Cruz has that great line, like, it's one of life's great mysteries, sir, you know, and but but you you get everything and what you realize is that maverick has never gotten over goose dying and he's never really gotten past the fact that that was sort of like the pivotal moment of his life not the battle afterward not all that but that there was, those two men in his life goose and iceman are still the most important people in his life because those are the pictures we see in that whole moment and you're basically seeing production stills which is you know of course uh, but you, you get everything you need to know that like this guy like he lives in a hangar an old hangar <laughs> for the navy and he's eating a TV dinner, drinking some coffee and working on, a, I guess, an old P-51 or something like that, that he's just been souping up and fixing up. And he's got a bunch of old motorcycles because, of course, Maverick would ride Japanese crotch rockets still uh, after all these years. So yes, the Japanese crotch yeah, rocket. Yeah, let, let, let's just be yes. clear. Yeah, this is a 1986 Kawasaki <laughs> Ninja 900. This is not just this is not just anything. Yes, and it's the yes. same one that he had in the original Top Gun, right? It was. And and that I, that was something I'm, – I'm a bit of a gearhead. And that was absolutely something that personally I picked up on. Um, first off, I couldn't remember if, if it was Hangar 1 that he was in, uh, which would be my, my first question is how did he get that living situation? Um, and how right? did he get it? And number two, Hangar 1 is, is a notoriously known uh, haunted hangar uh, in, in, in the Navy. Um, and number three, out of all the vehicles that he had in that uh, hangar – uh, I, I I couldn't tell you if I remember. I thought I saw an AC Cobra in there, which could have easily been, you know, half million to a six million dollar car. I think they've sold for. Uh, he chose to have a cover over this old 1986 <laughs> Kawasaki Ninja, right? Like out of everything in that in that hangar that he uh, he truly treasured, that was it, you know. And and, and it's truly right. sentimental to him. And that's that's what tells you everything you need to know about Maverick at this point. You know, is that he's more so about the people. Um, than he was about the mission. And that's why, to me, I think that's why that still remained the pivotal moment. Yeah, I mean, say what you will about that first movie, because it is just a big charged testosterone action movie and all that stuff. There's a lot of heart to that movie, especially in the way that guys of a certain age relate to each other and how they relate to each other through stressful situations and change. That movie actually has a lot to say about stuff like PTSD and, you know, dealing with egos and just learning how to keep that in check, but also use it to drive you. And there's a lot in there. And I know I sound like I'm making some sort of bullshit film theory class out of this, but I mean, really that movie had that there. 
in spite of its rather thin otherwise plot. And this movie doesn't disappoint because it kept that kind of theme through is that there's a lot of heart in this because you can tell the people making it care a lot about it. Cruz obviously cares a lot about this property. That's why they haven't made him one in 30 years because he's built the kind of clout where he can say, no, not without me and not, you know, till I'm ready. And so I, I appreciated that though, because again, it, it allowed you to kind of slip in and it is a bit of humor that with everything he's got in there, he's going to ride that old, old motorcycle with that old jacket. But that's what, you know, Maverick would do. Right. And that's, that's how he rolls. So I love how he rolls up with his guys and they've, they've been shut down by Admiral Ed Harris or whatever. And he's like, well, he ain't here yet. And I'm like, well, some things never change. <laughs> think, though, that that is exactly what his character was going to do. Cause I, I know. Yes. I, 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 absolutely. He's going to get it yeah. up in the air. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you knew you're like, oh yeah, he's taking Firefox like totally, you know, out. Like if you, if, you, if that, people don't get that reference, a good old Clint Eastwood supersonic movie, but yeah, he's taking that thing up. Yeah. The GI Joe plan is about to do Mach 15. So, and, and, and I will say, I think it was also at that moment that I also realized how, how well they're, they were going to really kind of introduce humor into this, this movie, which yeah. they really didn't do yeah. as much in the first one. And, and that's kind of the biggest difference that I noticed with this is just how much they actually sprinkled in bits of that throughout this the scripting was on point it really was it really was speckled with everything you needed right at the moment you needed it yeah i think and a lot of that i'm going to lay at the feet of christopher mccrory who knows how to sprinkle in the right amount of levity in an action movie because it's in all of his movies that he touches it's just sort of what he does is this movie will wink at itself and will acknowledge to the audience, yes, we know it's crazy. We're even going to laugh about it. And we're, we can all laugh about it together. So now that we've done that, we can kind of move forward. And I think there's also some genius casting in the people that they put around Maverick, like his little ground team. Those people are hilarious. I don't, I don't know who any of those people are. I don't think I've seen them in anything else. But all I'm, vaguely like actors you've seen before, right? Right. Right. But like uh, Bashir, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, uh, Salahuddin, uh, the, the place, uh, the warrant officer Hondo, who's basically like his air boss ground guy. I love that dude. I'm like, yeah, that guy is perfect. He's the Al Powell to our John McClane here. It's it's great. I love the not 10.1, not 10.2, <laughs> 10. Right. 10 is a threshold. And that's the moment right. you knew that he was taking it over 10. Exactly. Because that's Maverick's thing, right? It's always go beyond the limits of anything. And, and of course, it costs him because there's, there's a great humor, too, when he, you know, he basically b- burns up out of the sky and he ejects and no telling how many hundreds of miles away he is. And he walks into that little roadside diner and he's just totally fried. And I mean, that you know, Tom Cruise always looks good and he kind of goes about making himself look good and he looked terrible. And I'm like, I appreciate the fact that you winked at yourself enough to do that and have that little kid when you go like, where am I go earth? <laughs> you know, like that was, I laughed. Like my audience was small, but we all laughed at that. Yeah. yeah. The audience for this was great. Yeah. I, I could certainly uh, appreciate the fact that um, this man had just ejected and, and had exposed his body to speeds of Mach 10. And, yeah. And just 
dusted himself off with his parachute and walked into the diner. You know, right? That's what we did. We talked about that last night after we got out of the movie, and I was like, I think that's what we're gonna call suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to have it at some point. There's a lot of realism, and then there's the Tom Cruise realism, or there's the Maverick realism. I guess we should say, but. But no, I, but I like that though. And I like that, that we get all of that. And then we get that great scene with, with Ed Harris again, who's always choose scenery in any movies. And I've loved him for decades and we've seen it in the trailer, you know, he's sort of dressing Maverick down and he tells him like, he thinks he's obsolete, but for, you know, whatever reasons, his old buddy, the Admiral has called him back. So we know that, okay, we're going to get some Iceman eventually in this and what I loved about that, just to sort of broaden out the whole Iceman character, I love the fact that there's a running theme that Maverick has only been able to survive and because they have to figure out, like, how can somebody stay in the Navy for 30-something years and not be promoted? Eventually, they do just make you leave. Like, but not if you have the you know commander of the Pacific Fleet as your best friend. Like, I guess that can get you a favor called in when you need it. And apparently, Maverick runs afoul of authority quite a bit. And his friend has kept him out of it and kept him doing what he loves to do, which is fly airplanes. Yeah, I, I like the texting sequence between mm-hmm. him and Iceman. I was just like, this is... This is interesting. And then, I mean, we find out later why he was texting and not just calling him on the phone. I, yeah. Did anybody have a moment like, would two 60 year old dudes text each other, even if they were flyboy jockeys in the Navy? Like, they were probably calling That's each other. That's what we call suspension of disbelief. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> I thought, yeah. No, I thought it was, it was weird, but, you know, it, there was a, there was a purpose to it, so I appreciated that. Also, it wasn't zoomed all the way in; like the font was way too small for, for somebody texting. <laughs> Though like Tom Cruise was yeah. texting with the two fingered, you know, yes, text. He yeah, was, he was texting like like you would expect Tom Cruise to text. Also, I, I don't know what generic Android they were working off of there, but clearly iPhone did not allow <laughs> licensing it into this movie. Like a Blackberry. <laughs> it kind of did. I like, which I was jealous of because I was the world's last Blackberry user, as far as I know. And I missed the Blackberry. Jay's in the Guinness Book of World Records for last I, Blackberry user. It would probably be for something like that I if I ever made that. I still have to use them. So maybe that's why. Uh, maybe it was a BlackBerry. I mean, there we go. Yeah, that that was it. But no, I I did I did enjoy that, though. And you're right. They do have a story reason for that. It's also a real-life reason. We know Val Kilmer survived throat cancer, and he's, they rebuilt his voice with AI technology, which is kind of scary and weird, but but okay, good for him. And I, if you haven't watched the Val documentary, the thing, I think it's on Prime or whatever, it's totally worth it. The thing you can appreciate about Val Kilmer is that Joel Schumacher kind of labeled him as difficult at one point, but he's been proven to been wrong about that through the years because people love Val Kilmer and love working with him. And apparently in his later years, he doesn't take himself seriously at all. And that's what kind of makes him fun to still hang out with, even though he can't really do what he used to do. And so the fact that they wrote that in and that one Val Kilmer would let them use his real life, you know, impairment as part of the storyline is pretty pretty neat and i appreciated that and by all accounts that was because he and Cruz have remained friends through the years and he basically called in a favor yeah i thought that was really cool i actually didn't realize that i i had assumed in the movie that he was that he had throat or esophageal cancer mm-hmm. um i i don't know why they didn't specify that but the way that he was sitting moving etc just 
that's the vibe that I got. And then found out this morning, just when I was, you know, on the Google machine looking stuff up, that he had actually had throat cancer. And I saw the AI thing and that was crazy. So it was, it was really, really cool to, to have them incorporate that, I think, and, and to allow Val Kilmer to, or allow him, I don't know, maybe they asked it for Val Kilmer, Kilmer to be in the movie and, mm-hmm. and represent it in that way. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was cool to see. And we'll, we'll talk about his, his big scene when it comes up in a little bit. But I want to talk about the setup here because the next two people we really meet are John Hamm, who plays Vice Admiral Bo Simpson, a nod to Don Simpson, the late Don Simpson, I do believe, um, also known as Cyclone. We should mention that all of these pilots call themselves by their call signs. If you've ever met real pilots, they never do that because it's usually a joke, like as to how they get it. Like they don't necessarily enjoy being called those yeah, things but what losing, you know? <laughs> yeah 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 it is yeah it is gifted to you it is not uh, and and according to a couple that i have followed through the years like you can earn different ones if you're willing to pay or do certain things <laughs> like you can get a better one you can upgrade if you don't like your other one but uh yeah most people just stick with it because they don't call each other this stuff but for the rest of this movie and this podcast we're just going to call them by these things um so vice admiral john ham is there and then we also get his his sidekick who in the closing credits they call warlock i'm like daniel recalled that dude that on the show but okay so i don't know who charles parnell is but i love him because he's going to be like the admiral that's rooting for maverick to succeed while vice admiral stiff is like no um get out of my agency and get out of my navy because uh, that's, that's john ham's one move and uh, but i do like it though that they set up this whole thing like what the whole MacGuffin is is we've got this secret nuclear thing in this mountain through this cavern of Uzbekistanish Wanafana, and we got to go kill it. And you're the only person that's had to do it. So can you fly the trench run of the death star and bulls out of the whopper hat? I mean, I was sitting there going like, well, I guess, I mean, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter in the first movie because you don't know where that, those people are from either. So why tell it now? I mean, why complicate things? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the sheer miscalculation on Maverick's part of right them wanting him to teach it i don't yeah, know. yeah like oh well, i don't know if i can do that search me one time i flew <laughs> you're not flying it old man <laughs> come in here and teach it and i, I do say john ham is great at playing this sleazy boss <laughs> like i think john, it's sort of his lot of life john ham is great at playing anything he's cast in i don't think True. i've ever seen him play anything poorly he can do yeah. he can truly do it all he's He's the every man of our generation. I don't know. He's a very, very good character actor. He really is. But I don't know if you noticed when they mentioned teaching, Tom Cruise as Maverick had this distinct eye twitch. Yes, yes. (laughs) Like that (laughs) had to be calculated. It was so good. I even I took a few notes on Mm -hmm. an Alamo order card, like I do. And that was one of them was I twitch teaching. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think he drops a line later that he, la- I mean, we know at the end of the original Top Gun, he goes back to be an instructor. We find out that lasted two months because that's not what, I mean, who didn't see that coming? Cause that guy can't teach you anything. <laughs> you know, like you just gotta, 
you can't just follow that, right? I mean, it's it, and that's why I, I tell people all the time. I'm sort of amused by the idea of Tom Brady being on television to explain football to people, like Peyton Manning doing that. Yeah, because if you ever listen to him, like he's explaining a whole game trying to call a play when he played quarterback. Tom Brady would just as soon shoot you and stab you and walk over you as talk to you about what's happening. So I I, I kind of look at him the same. Like I don't know how it's going to work. And yeah, if you didn't see that. Maverick was not going to make it as an instructor. I, I don't know what to tell you about that first movie, but that, that was not going to work. And we, we all knew it wasn't. But, but with that kind of opened up a, a really big hole for me. Right. So, so we have mm-hmm. this 30 year difference, I think is what it was right from, from mm-hmm. right from that last one. Uh, but he was still a captain and he was still flying. Right. So we know all these things. Does that mean that not once in his 30 years of flying after his situation with Goose did he ever have a co-pilot that he actually cared to become friends with ever again? Right? Like, did he switch to single, like, seat fighters at that point? Because there's, you know, they talk about the two versions of the F-18s in this one, but the F-14 was a notorious two-seated fighter. You couldn't fly that by yourself. So, yeah. I don't know if, like, maybe Tim Robbins and, like, maybe he just hung around with Merlin and then, you know, got rid of him because they realized he was six foot five and can't be in the Navy and fly and do that. But I don't know. I, yeah, I wondered. I was like, what did, did he make no other relationships? But I think that's what we're supposed to know, Brian, is that there was nobody else he bonded to except Iceman, who obviously moved on up pretty quick and rank because he's awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and but the other thing, too, was I don't even I don't know if you noticed this in, in every single F-18 shot that they showed Tom Cruise. They never once showed a co-pilot. Nope. He was always by himself. Yep. The only co-pilot he ever had was in, was Rooster and the F-14. Yeah. At the very end, which was a major callback to the beginning. We'll, we'll talk about that when it comes around. But yeah, he, you know, he never had a, I think they call them uh, weapons uh, systems operators now instead of radio intercept officers. But um, yeah, they, you know, he never had another one. So you, you got to wonder after he got out of teaching Top Gun, well, we find out he got deployed a few times, but it, I mean, by that point we had single seat fighters. So maybe he just flew them like that. I don't know. So um, very, very interesting stuff, but, but it's kind of the whole idea about Maverick always kind of was a lone wolf, even though he had goose around. And when he lost him, he still was. And that, that has followed him and haunted him his whole career. What did y'all think about when Jennifer Connelly rolled in and absolutely lit up my Gen X heart on the screen because everybody my age fell in love with her at Labyrinth and has never stopped. And we all hate Paul Bettany with the passion of a thousand sons. But but when they rolled her in and when they dropped that name, I don't know why in my mind I remember that Penny Benjamin joke from the first movie, probably because I've seen it way too many times, (laughs) but it's in the scene where I just call him Admiral Strickland because that's who he is in back to the future is yelling at, at uh, Anthony Edwards and Tom Cruise and Tom and, Edwards looks over because they make some joke about like you did something with an admiral's daughter and, and um, Cruz kind of twitches again, Lindsay and uh, uh, Anthony Edwards goes like Penny Benjamin. They draw, they pick up that line and go, no, it's an actual real person. Here she is back yeah, in your life. It fast pass, right? You made a fast, like the <laughs> first fast, pa- fast yeah. pass with the Admiral's daughter. Yeah, because <laughs> yes. all the flybys that he did and all the fast passes that he had, and they sprinkled like Admiral's daughter in along with all this. <laughs> yep. And then Goose looks at him and Mav's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jennifer you know. Connelly, though, I was, I didn't, I didn't know she was going to be in this movie. I was really 
happy to see her in this movie. She's been in a few other movies that we've reviewed here. And it was, I couldn't, I did not pick up on the Admiral's Daughter joke. It, I watched, I watched Top Gun. Normally I would watch the first movie before going to see the sequel and it just didn't work out this time. But watching it this morning, I was like, there it is. They're talking about the Admiral's Daughter. Now, yep. now it's all kind of placing and replaying in my head. But I like the exposition in this is great because she goes through their entire history in two sentences. And that's all you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that the first fast pass and then they get back together and then they get back together and get back together. And you, you have that, that whole vibe that they're getting her daughter too. Mm -hmm. added that extra layer. I liked the quips between Tom Cruise or between Maverick and, uh, and Jenny's daughter, the, Hey, how's your dad? Amelia. Yeah. Yeah. How's your dad? Oh, he's in, Boca or Hawaii, Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii with his wife. Yeah, but I love, I love how too she gets those moments. Like, don't break her heart again. Yeah. You know, when when he crawls out of the bedroom later and and tries to escape, and then you know she shows up at the end and kind of winks, and then looks like look over there. There's my mom and her cool Porsche that she owns. She can't afford owning this bar. So right, that was a pretty sweet Porsche, by the way. That it's very eighties. So, but like everything actually. else, there's seventies. Okay. Well, I see, I associate that with all the, all the yuppie eighties movies it was in, but no, no, I'm Jennifer Connelly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her in this movie though, because she has such a story and, and isn't just like eye candy on the screen. Like she's actually a real person who is in charge of her own world too, which is kind of neat. We, we get her in that great, it's a good bit of comedy too, right? You talk about the comedy they drop in when they put Tom Cruise and her on the sailboat and she's making all the jokes about, aren't you in the Navy? And he's like, I'd land on these. I don't know how to steer them. And you know, it's, it's but you know, I'll, I'll give it credit. Cause it's fun. We've never seen Maverick do anything he wasn't great at. So it's kind of fun to watch him do something he sucks at, you know, except singing in a bar, which we can all remember from the first movie. Cause yeah, that was horrible. Pretty but, bad at that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was bad. Well, I mean, I think even Charlie told him like, "Now I don't have to worry about you making a living as a singer," because you found out he was a pilot. But yeah, I, I I did enjoy that. I liked the comedy of it. I liked their whole vibe. I thought they had good chemistry um, together. I don't know. I can't recall if those two have ever done anything together before. They, you'd think at some point they crossed paths, but I I can't remember if they ever had. I don't think so. But Jennifer Connelly, I saw an interview with her and she had nothing but great things to say about working with Tom Cruise and how awesome he was. And I'm sure we'll get to the last scene where they're flying off together and Tom Cruise is actually flying and how much she enjoyed just flying with him. And you, this is, I'm going to take a hard left turn here um, from from Jennifer Connelly and Tom Cruise, because you mentioned her role in Labyrinth, and there's a little Easter egg in the bar. I don't know if you noticed, but they were playing a David Bowie song. No, I did not catch that. That's awesome. What a great pickup. Oh, no. That, no see, now I have to go see it again yeah. just for all the stuff I missed because, right. wow, that's that's great. Yeah, go back and pick those up. 
No, I, lo- I loved that. I did text our friend April who reviewed Labyrinth with me back on this. I was like, you've got to go see this. Trust me. Like there's so much, but I'll have to tell her that now too, because that's great. So no, I liked her though. I thought that was fun. It was a good aside and it's kind of, they, they kind of do a running joke because it's a great way to have them introduce all the other people that are part of this. Cause we find out like he's going to train all these top gun graduates. So I, I credit this movie for, not putting us through the same steps as the first movie where Maverick's got to go and teach Top Gun how to be great. Now, these people have already done all that Top Gun stuff. So now they are, they're already the best of the best of the best or whatever. What did you make of our rogues gallery of other pilots here? Are you just running down if you want to? The ones that matter are Hangman and Bob and, uh, you know, Phoenix. Everybody else is just sort of there to be there. But, and obviously Rooster we'll get to, but I, I don't know. There was something about each of them that I just really dug. And I think no more so than Glenn Powell, who just cheeses up the screen with that big grin every time he's there saying, man, I loved him. Bob was the best. He was my Oh, favorite. Bob was hilarious. I, yeah. love-, board. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Good joke. Oh, your name's Bob. Well, what's your call, call sign? Bob. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the most boring human ever is what they play him as. And I'm like, this is great. And I wondered, I was like, is this Bill Pullman's kid? And I had to Google machine it. But when I got home, I was like, it sure is. So yeah, it's one of, it's one of his sons. Yeah. yeah. man. It so was- there's a few moments you can kind of see it in his face. He didn't look so much like his dad, but he definitely got some of the acting quirk, the everyman quirk too. Yeah. It. He, um, I, I do like how they introduced everyone rooster walking in out of uniform and you immediately know you know yeah spitting image of his father spitting image. they did an amazing job making him look like goose it's it's really funny because miles teller is an actor that sometimes is really intriguing like you, you watch him in in certain movies and it's like oh man he's like really giving a hell of a performance here like whiplash is amazing right but then you watch him in something like the divergent series and you're like this guy sucks he's <laughs> just such a buried bit of what you get so when i found out he was going to be playing anthony edwards kid they give him the little porn stash and then they kind of dye his hair a little blonde because he's definitely a dark-headed guy and i'm like I don't know about this, but I'll, I'll give you the day. He nailed an Anthony Edwards impression. If that's what he was going for, he nailed it. Cause he walks in just like that character did. I think it was even the same shirt. It seemed like from, uh, from the, the time they sat down to play the song. Yeah. In the first one. It was close. Cause they did, mm-hmm. they did a flashback and yep. you got to see exactly how much they look like. If you didn't already know how much they made him look like him or made him look like goose. Wild. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. He was fun. I, I, his whole thing with Maverick, I kept waiting for him to finally get around to explaining it. And I'll give the movie credit for sort of slow rolling that out because a lesser movie would have just dumped all that at the bar, you know, and, and or we would have had, you know, Maverick standing there behind the glass when he's watching Rooster play the piano and they're having a good time. This is after he's, he's left the bar and Penny catches him sort of, you know, staring through the window a lesser movie, she would have gone out there and he would have like dropped it all, you know, in exposition, but they slow roll that out to us. I sort of appreciated that about this movie. Cause again, a lesser movie wouldn't have done that. I was going to, that's a good point because they do a lot of dumping mm-hmm. as like for the last 30 years, but they really keyed in 
what was important to slow roll and what wasn't. And that was, that was a just really good writing. I don't know how else to put it. Well, I mean, again, sometimes you get five people writing on a script, which probably means like 12, really. That can mess it up. Sometimes it can fix things. And also credit to people editing this to know how to put it together right. So. I mean, because I mean, anybody will tell you the first Top Gun was really pieced together in the editing bay with Tony and Don and Jerry and and Tom sitting there, kind of you know banging it out with the editor, uh, making it work. So I I, I like the way that we introduce everybody though, because they each have their own like since they're the best of the best, right? They're all going to be like a little bit cocky, have a little different personality. So if I can tell you, I really love Glenn Powell. I realized I was like, we're supposed to hate this guy, but this guy is if Iceman had a son, and yeah. it would be him because he's he is really good and he backs it all up. And it's like, you all know that person that like you want to hate them, but they're just too good. So you can't. And that's this guy. And they all know each other because they're Mm -hmm. the best of the best. Mm -hmm. If They haven't met, which I think they, they clearly had all been together at some point in flight school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I like that because they're all the best of the best, clearly very competitive with each other and elbowing and they've got that tension there. It works really well. Yeah. I, I really liked Monica Barbero's character, Phoenix though, yeah. of, of all of them. She was a lot of fun for what could have been a nothing thankless role. They actually give her a lot to do without making her, too much of one thing or another. She's obviously not, doesn't have any romantic chemistry with any of these people. So we just dispel that immediately. Like if there ever was like, she clearly elbows a couple of them in the ribs and lets them know what's up. And she's legitimately good at what she does. And she's also the one that figures out like, why are all of us here? Like, this is not what you usually bring together. Like something big is up, you know? And I don't know. I, I dug her. I don't know her from anything. I haven't seen any of the stuff she's in, but she really had a presence on screen. I thought she had, she had good stuff to do every time she was there. Yeah. She didn't feel like the token woman. She was just mm-hmm. in the, in the mix. And I think the big reason why it felt that way is, Jay, you hit the nail right on the head. And one of my big pet peeves in movies is when there's romantic chemistry, when there doesn't need to be romantic chemistry to move the plot forward. I've said it a million times, and I will keep saying it a million times every time it happens. And I'm really glad there wasn't with her. And I think that that's what made her character as real as it was. It was really nice to have, you know, kind of have someone in there. Um having watched the first movie and being such a big fan, you know, kind of seeing how are they going to introduce a, a female into the mix, especially with it having previously been such a testosterone fueled kind of um, film. I, I thought they did a great job bringing her in and making her a part of it. Um, you know, it, it kind of made you wonder when you saw that, well, you know, how, how's that volleyball scene uh, <laughs> equivalent kind of going to work? What yeah. are they going to do? And, and I thought they handled it very well with that, that dual football game they had out there in, in, uh, in the ocean, I thought was phenomenal. Um, I, I thought she killed it. I thought she nailed it. Oh yeah, she was a lot of fun. Yeah, the dual football team was was a blast, and it's like that whole team building thing. I mean, I like I like that because John Hamm even like as the as the a hole boss is supposed to go there. Like I don't approve of these methods or whatever. But Cruz goes like, "You wanted the team, there they are, and they actually are all getting along, seem to be in to do something together." And Ham looks at him like, "All right," and just walks off. And I'm like, "Okay, look, I, I appreciate <laughs> I that." I do love the this the mini scene of John Hamm just walking around an empty base, <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to find everyone. Yeah, just like where, where are they? Throwing his arms up. 
Yeah, where is everyone? Where is my team, my squad? <laughs> so I really expected that other rear admiral, the one they called Warlock, to be out there with them. Like, you know, like that would have been even funnier because they had a Hondo out there. They yeah. probably made him do something. But no, they had a lot of fun with it. You could tell that they were having a good time and they wanted to pay homage to the volleyball scene, but do something a little more modern, involve everybody. And they didn't set it to, there was, I mean, the music is just the the score. There's not a song. So there's no music video in this at, yeah. at all. And that's a, that's a difference. But I mean, I think that's more modern film telling. You don't do that anymore. Um, at least well, I haven't seen that in a movie in years, I should say. So, uh, but and I like how we're, we're setting all of these people up. And again, there's a million other, you know, pilots and characters and, whatever they're all fine i mean i i can't tell one of them apart from the other like one point one of them gets in like a g-lock or something and i thought it was another one later on i was like i mean is that the same guy because they kind of, i mean not to be that way but they all look the same behind the mask and the stuff and i'm like nah, i don't i don't know who these people are so and it doesn't matter because they're not the ones that that you're going to care because you can tell the ones that you need to care about because they all have lines and they, and they say things that matter instead of just pilot jargon stuff now what did y'all make of the the training sequences with the the flying stuff because this is where this movie really is its reputation is built on that they took all these F-18s out. They put these people in the backseat with the camera and they, they jerked them all over the sky, you know, doing this stuff. That's where I'm going to pass the ball to Brian on this one. Cause we've talked about it. I know he has some thoughts. So, so I really like the, the, the scenes in this one. Um, one of the things I, I'm kind of curious about is if they had talked to the pilots about making this one a little more lifelike with the amount of effort it takes to really drive these things, you know, um, mm-hmm. it was funny. We were watching the, the movie this morning and, um, you know, he, he's kind of smiling, you know, sort of kind of looking in different directions. Uh, but there was absolutely no grunting or, or kind of moving or really, it didn't seem like he was having to do a whole lot, but in this one, I mean, you know, he was, he was constantly moving, constantly having to do it. And you really kind of felt it as a viewer, like, uh, this is, this is not just, uh, like driving a car. I mean, you, you're shifting your whole body. There's a lot more muscle involved in moving some of these components and, and pushing some of these pedals. And uh, I think people don't really realize, you know, how much effort and energy gets expelled in in something like that, especially in a two and a half minute time span. You know, your your body's locked up like that and having to be able to uh, be that precise, um, you know, with with the timing that they had. I mean, they were asking a lot of of those students and everybody knew it, Um, which is why I was I was really thrilled to see when he did finally steal the plane and, and, you know, do the demo to show them that this is something that can be done. but I, I really did like that they spent a little more time with the training scenes. Um, I, of course, loved seeing the jets flying across the skies and, and really kind of seeing what they're capable of doing. And um, personally, I, I love I love the old man introduction, you know, blowing right up between <laughs> the two pilots, the two cocky ones, not knowing where he is and then just totally catching them off guard. And that just kind of really sets the stage for how he's just going to, you know, really mop the floor with them. And I thought it was great with the push-up scenes after every yeah. single kill that he had. Um, yep. For me, they, they they couldn't have done anything better with that. You know, it was classic. Um, here comes the, the old man champion that's going to step in and really kind of show all these cocky young kids exactly how to do this and uh, and really put them in their place. It's reminiscent of when Tom Skerritt, finally hit the skies against them in the first movie in the training sequences. And they realized like why he had the reputation he had and he just outdueled all of them. Cause there's tons of drop lines in that about how many times he killed all of them in training. And they do so many callbacks with crews doing scare lines to them that 
you know, he got uttered at him and then they're doing the same thing back and forth. I, I got a kick out of all of that, not only because the sequences were so well done and it is very realistic and there's a lot of sort of background. You, you He's training them. And so you're hearing the teaching moments while they're flying and you see what's happening to him. And he's Cruz is doing a lot of exposition dump about this is what it's going to feel like with you know, an elephant sitting on your head, you know, and all this. I mean, I appreciated that too, because like you say, the first movie, it's just like they're in a fast car almost, which is nothing like what it's like to fly a fast plane. Yeah. And you get that blackout scene when they're at the, that, crazy steep incline training to go up the mountain and mm-hmm. i can't remember the character's name who blacks i think that was coyote i can't remember it's yeah, one of them yeah. yeah and he you know and and maverick has to has to basically train in on him and forces lock in thing to mm-hmm. Brian. Yeah, you yeah. know the words i don't know the words. He, got the, he got the target, he got the target <laughs> yeah lock. that's it he got the target lock alarm to go and uh it was it was i i, I did like that tip of the hat there because it was cougar in this one that blacked out and had to be brought back. And in the first one, it was actually coyote. Um, or I'm sorry, it was, it was cougar in the first one and coyote in the second one. So both yeah. were kind of following similar, um, similar naming systems there. I thought it was pretty uh, Yeah, very much. I, I dug it. I, the other thing I love too, is that they made fun of that. You know, like the top gun move is the hit the brakes and fly right by and spoiler alert. We'll talk about that in the firebirds review too, guys, but pilots will tell you like, yeah, that's a real thing. But the bad part is you might get by the one, but the other three people you're fighting now have your full broadside to shoot at at the same time. So, and I love how after that John Hamm goes, if you pull that Cobra shit again, you know, I don't see that anymore. And there was a guy behind me who cackled at that. And when I saw him walk out, I was like, that dude served. Like you could just tell he had the look. I'm like, he probably thought that was funny. <laughs> and so I was like, but I appreciated that. That again, that's this movie will it, it lets the audience know, like, yes, we know this ridiculous. You expect to see it. Here it is. But by the way, no one would really do that because you'd get shot. So it's it's funny that they work that stuff in. And there's I, I gotta tell you, Cruz with Ham, every time he's in his office getting chewed out, I give John Ham credit for never once raising his voice. That is, it's hard to chew somebody out and never yell at them. He just glares at them with those big eyes he's got. And I, I was impressed. That was like an acting thing. You thought about that, Lindsay, but that I thought that was very cool. much an acting thing. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. I've already said John Hamm can do no wrong. <laughs> he's never, he's never been in a bad role. He's never been in a bad acting moment. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's got, I haven't seen it, he, but. He's got an analog in this movie. He's a younger Ed Harris. Ed Harris was the same guy. Like he could do that stuff too for his whole career. Still can. I mean, he didn't yell at Maverick and he made him a, you know, a half foot tall when he talked to him. Cause that that's Ed Harris and that's John Hamm. Good character actors possess that ability. Yeah. There's few of them that know how to do it, but it's, he a, can do it. it's, and that was one of like lesson number. Well, I won't say it was lesson number one, but it's, it's a big lesson that is taught or that you have to learn is acting is more about volume hmm. or it's yeah. Like it's not just volume, you know, mm-hmm. and the great actors don't need, volume with the great great actors can utilize both tone and volume and create magic and that is what john ham does i mean among many other actors but right i mean but he's good in this movie to do that yeah. and it gives them it gives a lot of levity to what's going on because you, you get the increased tension that they're they're not 
they can't do this. They can't keep up with the speed. And there's different reasons. Like Hangman flies too fast and runs off on everybody. So his team gets killed and then he's left out there alone. So that's his fatal flaw. And Rooster is too conservative, you know, because he's trying to not die in the airplane and he's he's going to get be too late because even if they get to the target, then everything else will be on top of them. We find out. So there's all these reasons stuff isn't working. There's tension between the group. There was a scene in the trailer where Rooster's going after somebody. And I had always thought like, Oh, that's when he loses it and goes after Maverick. And I appreciate that. That was that I was totally wrong about that. That that's hangman starts figures out like, Oh, you're, he flew with your dad. Your dad died. This is why you're, you have beef or whatever. And he gets to lay that out. And that's what goads him into that, that it wasn't, I, I love the fact that he never did something that would actually get you thrown out of the Navy, no matter who your friends are. You can't go after a superior officer. And and I do appreciate, too, that every time Maverick's trying to get his attention, he keeps calling him by his name and he won't do it. It's only when he addresses him by rank that he'll stop and turn around and then go through with the process. I, I, I Again, Miles Taylor, I can think or leave him sometimes, but I thought he was pretty good. And him and Cruz had some some good moments in in this movie. Well, they need to, especially with how similar they are. I mean, the big picture here, you know, is that both of their dads were lost in flying missions, right, between Tom and Bruce mm-hmm. and, and Rooster. And uh, and in the first movie, I mean, the instructor actually flew with Mav's dad, you know. So yeah. as a student, his his dad had flown with the with them. And in the second movie, it was the same kind of thing. I mean, you have a, a young, cockier uh, pilot with an instructor who flew with the, the, the father that, you know, that's that whole thing is now a mystery sort of kind of to them. Um and now here they are back at Top Gun. You know, it, it's it's remarkable kind of how they they wove that in together. And I'm glad they're able to kind of get those moments. Um, but I, I, you know, I was kind of interested to know. I, I wish they explained a little more about that dynamic and the relationship that they had after, um, you know, after Goose went away. I would imagine that the way that and how Mav was kind of included in part of the family scenes in the first one that I'm. Um, I would imagine he was probably dressed as, you know, maybe Uncle Mav or something like that. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and especially when, when you know, you need that kind of support, I would have thought that he would have been been a little bit more involved. And, and so I was a little surprised to see that dynamic right off the bat. But once I learned that he had pulled his papers, um, all, all that made a lot more sense. Yeah. I mean, I love how he reveals that too, because it's after him and, and uh, Penny Benjamin finally hook up. Cause they do this bit where he takes her home a couple times on the motorcycle and she's like, good night. She shuts the door behind her. And when she walks in and just left the door open, I was like, Oh, <laughs> so, step into my labyrinth maverick and i mean and so we we get that but you know what? i'll give that this movie credit for this too they didn't try to replay take my breath away they really shortened that scene and it was pretty quaint and we cut to them just pillow talking pretty fast i did speaking of songs i, I knew you were gonna bring I up. <laughs> genuinely missed the fact that there is no homage to the you've lost that love and feeling there was yeah. none of that. That I, I really wanted that to be in there and, and I kept waiting for it. And that was one of the that was one of the holes for me. I, I was really waiting for it. <laughs> I'll tell you when I wanted that to happen, Brian. I wanted at the end when he and Rooster are working on the plane and when Penny and Amelia show up, Amelia should have dropped a needle on a record and that song yeah. started playing. Yeah. That would have been funny. Because that would have been, been almost been two on the nose, but that would have been cool. There were a lot so, of on the nose moments in this. Season. I mean, yeah, for a movie that, that beats your nose in like Mike Tyson, I don't know that there could have been too many. But yeah. I, but no, I, I love that though that he reveals that, that he pulled – Bradley's papers out of the he pulled him from going to the Naval Academy basically and set him back four years because he didn't because his mother was dying Meg Ryan's character I think her name was Carol 
was dying and made him promise, like, do not let him become a pilot. But, and so Mavericks, and this is the big thing. This tells you how much Maverick has grown as a person is that he decided, well, he'll resent me forever for that, but there was no reason for him to resent her too. And I was like, that's kind of huge of you to take on for, you know, 15 years or however long it's been. Which I got to ask you, I'm, I'm going to step in here. You know, is that is that a decision that you would make? Because personally, th- that seems like a very easy explanation. You know, listen, mm-hmm. your dad was lost this way. Uh, you're, you're, you were all that your mom had left. Obviously, she didn't want to lose you. She would want the best. That's why I did this. Pretty simple explanation. I kind of feel like that'd be pretty he understanding. Wouldn't resent his mom I, I don't that, think yeah. he I don't think he would resent his mom for thinking that way. If he's anything like his father was, and he plays so much like him anyway, I I tend to agree with you, Brian, that he would have been like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go and learn how to be a computer programmer in the Navy and make a lot of money. (laughs) Well, I I mean, you know, I mean, that's not a bad. Yeah, I wanted Maverick to tell him at the end. I was waiting for him to tell him. I thought maybe when he was when they were working on that, that aircraft there uh, would have been a great time because it would have at least closed up kind of that that um, that hole that you know, rooster has, cause he still doesn't know why he pulled his papers, you know, to, to this, to this day, to the end of the movie, he still would not know why he pulled them and would have no idea why he wouldn't have wanted him to be there standing right next to him doing exactly that in the first place. Yeah. I mean, he does also say though, that he didn't think rooster was ready either. He pulled his papers mm-hmm. because his mom didn't want him to be a pilot, but also he wasn't ready. I, yeah. But I, I think, you know, it, I, I, um, my, my grandfather's a military. That's as close as I've been in, in my family, but I got to believe that, you know, uh, most people probably, I, I can't believe ever really feel like they're truly ready or, or somebody that is looking at someone down, you know, would say you're ready to go into this. I yeah. don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that's a thing. I have a theory and they don't say it in the movie, but this is just me helping it out a little bit is that what Maverick really means is I'm not ready that I might lose you too. Because we got to figure out, like, he's got Iceman in his life, but obviously he knows about Iceman's cancer because there's a thing with him and and the actress that played Tia and Uncle Buck. I'll never know her name, her real name, but that's who she is for me forever. <laughs> and so that's, there's a, a drop from the 80s. Yeah, it's nice but, name drop. Jean Louise and Louisa Kelly. I should, I do remember that. But but anyway, they have that later. But so he has him in his life, right? And he's obviously still close to Carol and Bradley. And when Carol dies, he's like, I can't keep losing people in my life because he can't keep anybody in his life like romantically because there's no name drop at all of Charlie, which whatever it, it, who who thought they were going to stay together anyway she she worked for the rand corporation for goodness sake she made three times what he did come on it's like she she went to work for nasa probably um or something else and or, or apple and that's why he has to spend android but but they you know they they have this guy who can't keep anybody in his life so the idea of losing another bradshaw particularly like the only living heir to to goose is his only connection to him i don't think maverick was ready for him to do it. And that's really what is being said there. I don't think they explain it well enough, but that's me helping it out a little bit. I wanted to know where Charlie was. And, and, and this is why, this is why, because the mission itself was, was highly technical, you know, everything from mm-hmm. the to the equipment involved. Um, and that was her specialty. So, so to me as a top gun fan, you know, it would have made perfect sense to at least include her or, or say why she couldn't have made it or where she was. And instead she just didn't exist ever. Like she, she was never referenced. There was nothing ever talked about her. Um, 
but she was she was I, I believe they called it a technical consultant, a, te- a civilian technical civilian cons- consultant. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it would have made sense that she absolutely should have weighed in on something like this, but she was nowhere to be found. And 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 I don't know why they chose to do that. But in the original Top Gun, she did say that the original Top Gun. She that's the only one she was in. Um, she had said later in the movie that she was applying for other jobs and was about to accept one. Absolutely. Just, just for the fact that she was a love interest in the first one, you know, and, and he still kind of talked to Penny, I guess, or, or maintained some sort of connection there um, would have led me to believe that perhaps he maintained some sort of connection with Charlie. And so based on the fact that he's gotten called into, to a consultant position for this highly technical mission, would have made sense to call in his contact that we got to know so well in the first film. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. That would have been an interesting way to bring her in. But I think this movie, if if anything, and it's over two hours long, we should say, is trying to be kind of lean with as much of it as it does. And it wants the callbacks to really center around Maverick and Goose. Yeah. And that's where all the callback energy is, is between Bradley and, and Maverick and Goose. And then it sort of bleeds over into the other people as they're learning this. So we, we get the, the big scene though, is where he, he goes to visit Iceman cause Iceman sends him a text message says, I need to see you. And he goes in and his wife and him have that whole bit about like, Oh, it's back. And we realize he's talking about you know cancer or something. And that, you know, she tells him they don't know how long you'll live, you know, whatever. And obviously Val Kilmer's not in a state where he can do a lot. Now he, he had his voice restored in 2021. So people are going to be like, why does he not sound like himself here? They shot this in 2018, 2019 kids. So that was before that happened. He was still getting over to cancer at that point. So he's pretty sick in, when they're shooting this and I love that they give him the, the thing of like, he's typing out his words on a screen and he's trying to get Maverick to like, you just got to let it go. You got to move on. You got to let go. And then when he stands up though, I'm not gonna lie when he stands up and he does get out some words and he's like, you know, just tell me who was better. And it's like, let's not ruin the moment. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I was, I was crying at that moment. And then I needed the good laugh. So I appreciate Val Kilmer giving me the laugh because I wasn't the only dude sniffling in the audience. I could hear everybody going, trying to hold him back for Iceman there. <laughs> and I mean, uh, but, you know, every, every guy, and I'm sure women too, but every, every guy that's had some sort of relationship that started off, you know, where it was really just kind of button heads and battling each other to then kind of have that, it, that kind of friendship. And then, you know, you're, you're kind of able to, to nudge them. Like, you know, you got to let it go, you know, things like that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I thought it was awesome. Just spectacular. The man, that line, Let's not ruin the moment. Really just yeah. landed so well, though. Yeah. Then that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the levity that's just sprinkled in to this mm-hmm. this entire movie just hits so well. But that's a great scene for a lot of reasons because you, you realize – that the the bond between these two guys is so real and it was forged in fire and they did go at each other. And it's, it's sort of built around that old thing of like on the playground, you, you punch each other and then you're friends, you know, and that's kind of how young guys relate to each other. Sometimes we're stupid. It's what we do. And that's, that's how it goes. But you know, every guy that I know, grew up like that and has friends like that. I still have friends like that, you know, and that's it. And my brother and I are, you know, five years apart and we used to fight like cats and dogs and, you know, now we're, we're very close, you know? And so it, it, it was neat to see. And I appreciate this movie sort of paying homage to that and letting that happen because again, for a movie that is going mock, 10 most of the time, it allows these sort of slow moments to have their time. 
And that was a great, it's not just fan service either to have that on the screen. It was really good. And it, it served part of the story because we'd all seen, I think if you saw the trailer, they're, they're at a funeral and I'm like, well, who's going to die? You know, it's either one of the pilots, which I'm glad they didn't play that thing, or it's going to be Iceman. And that was sort of the obvious one. And, you know, when, when they go to his funeral and stuff, that's when you realize like the tables turn big time at that point, because for the first time in his life and his career, Maverick is really alone. Like he really has no one. He's got Penny who's in his life again, but he really has no one. He doesn't know what to do. And um, I, that was neat though, to show the guy who always seems to have an answer to have the moment where he goes like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Like I have no out anymore. I think I, I, to me, that was, that was one of the reasons that they showed the ending the way that they did. And, and, you know, that that scene of, of being able to share a project is very much a, an Americana father son type thing that you would see. Um, mm-hmm. so I, 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 I'm going to disagree. I don't think he's alone. I think as a matter of fact, I'm going to argue that he's probably at this point now has the most friends than he'd had in the first one, because now he has, you know, a love interest. She has a daughter that's still with her. And now he mm-hmm. also has a, you know, somebody that he can kind of look out for and take under his wing. So now he's got a little bit more of a purpose, a little more responsibility. That that was kind of how I saw it. That that you know, Rooster's yeah. now kind of him and Rooster have this different relationship, different bond, and and I don't see uh, Mav spending a whole lot of time alone at this point. I'm talking about at the moment though, after Iceman dies, where he's sort of lost at that moment before he before he realizes all the people that are in his life. Yeah. It's that darkest moment that he's got there, and Penny's the one that kind of tells him like, "You figure it out. You always seem to." And you know, I I appreciated that. Yes. Yep. Sorry. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And then we get what feels like a whole bonus movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> so John Hamm grounds him <laughs> and we knew that was coming. And I love how, and I love how Tom Cruise is like trying to argue his points. Like you can go now. I was like, Oh, <laughs> you got big timed out the door, but he knows better that you don't, you don't argue with the vice admiral. It's not going to do me any good. Cause now I don't have my buddy to you know, back me up anymore. So I can't say what I want. So he leaves and he, of course, like I, when John Hamm is dressing them down and tell them like, you're going to do this in four minutes instead of two minutes. And you're like, Oh, they're all going to die. It's going to be terrible. And, and Hamm is one of those guys, but though, and, and I'll appreciate this military commanders in high rank, have to make awful decisions like that all the time. And I have a friend at work who's a retired brigadier general and he and I've talked about, you know, just decision-making and leadership and stuff. And he says the hardest thing is being able to make decisions where, you know, it's an ugly outcome, but it's what's got to be done, you know, and all that. And so Ham has already made that decision. Like, this is what they do. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to do your best. You know, we're going to hope for the best guys. And of course the, the blip comes on the screen. I'm like, Maverick just stole a $90 million airplane. Okay. <laughs> no big deal, guys. No big deal. Right. I do like that interaction between Maverick um, and John Hamm when Tom Cruise really leans into the and bring them home, right? Mm-hmm. And you do right. see every emotion pass over John Hamm's face of he has no idea what what decisions are being made right now and have to be made like, yep, I'm fully aware of, of the risks associated with it. And it's not, I mean, I don't know. It's, it is, you're right. It's tough. It's the difficult decision you make, but of course when Maverick steals the plane and and makes the, 
Right. Makes the Kessel run in you know, less than 12 parsecs or whatever. I, I'm, I'm sitting there watching that. And I, I, as the audience, as the audience of fighter pilots keep standing up a little bit more to watch the end run and they're just watching it on a computer screen and listening to it, my audience was leaning forward. Like, is he really going to pull all this off? And I'm like, of course he is. He's Absolutely. freaking Tom Cruise. <laughs> right? We, no I was absolutely Maverick. on the edge of my seat, like biting oh, nails. Right. Yes. It was but it was awesome. And that's great. the thing. It's it's a great balance of computer screenery and people talking and Tom Cruise in an airplane and a real airplane doing all this low flying stuff, which is, I mean, that's the thing we should talk about. Like the mission is they got to keep it like a hundred feet off the ground, mm -hmm. which is insane in a fighter pilot. And they got to move at I don't know, 800 miles an hour through a Canyon to make this work and then climb a wall and all this crazy stuff. And it's, it's nuts. I mean, it is wild to see it happen and to realize like, they actually got a pilot, probably not at the speeds they're talking about, but they got a pilot to do that close enough that it looked really good on the camera. I'm like, that's impressive. Whoever flew that, bravo to you, because that's amazing looking. It was wild. Warlock's reaction after, too. Yeah, it was just fist pumping back there. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great character. I wish we knew his name before the end of the movie. Right, yeah, because I noted that was. I was like, other other leading commander person so you know like i didn't know that he had a name so it but i know I, I like it though because it's a great it it does the whole bit where it gives maverick that boost of confidence again right that he needs like no i'm right and i'm gonna kids the confidence that they need because they're watching this old guy do it Right. I mean, in their mind, he's old. Well, he's not really old. We know that. But this, this also, for the longest time, felt like one of those situations where you know these kids, again, cocky and confident, you know, uh -huh. fresh, fresh graduates, and, and at the top of their top of their career here, or or the best and the best of the best, as we're saying, um, you know, to kind of listen to somebody, it, it's always it's frustrating to listen to somebody tell you that something can be done when you're trying your hardest and you're just not able to get it. Um, mm -hmm. because you know, really what you want to do is just say, well, you do it, you know, you can't, you know, let's see you do it. And, um, and that's exactly what he did. And so by showing them that this is, this is truly possible, you, you can do it. Um, that was very, very much needed. And, and I thought that was terrific. I think the other thing is he is, he was showing the two in command that I was not only right all along about the plan, but I'm the one that needs to fly lead on this because I can actually still do this and I am still the best pilot, you know, that you ever lived or whatever you know, his moniker was. And even though I may have finished second, you know, whatever, they, they make a good joke about that too. He's like, no, I didn't win. I was second manage expectations, sir. You know, they had a, had a good laugh about that, but I, I appreciated that. It was neat because the other thing you can see too is like, of all the people that are rooting for Maverick to get that right, the one that they flash on that like really seems to just be totally impressed by it is Hangman, who's the cockiest of all of them. And I was like, it's almost like he's like, yeah, I knew the old man had it. And he was like, I kind of appreciated that about it because he's got a little bit of that Val Kilmer Iceman thing going on. Yeah. Still a little bit of brown nosing. Oh, too. absolutely. But oh, yeah. Well, I, and he was cocky. He was. He was 100% sure that he was going to be chosen as wingman to Maverick. Mm -hmm. And then when he chose Rooster instead, you just saw the, oh, okay. You know, yeah. that's the, your world's crashing down, but you still have a job to do. And, right. well, he, did it. and he still got, I know. I, yes, he did. 
Yeah, and I appreciated the moment he had with Rooster on the flight deck when you know they're loading up the planes to fly out, and he just looks at him and says, "Give him hell." And I'm like, "Okay, that's actually taking the high road, dude." I I appreciate that. That was because he could have been like, "Should be me up there," you know. But that would have been cheesy DTV action move. That this movie's smarter than that. So yeah, all those pilots know though that they are going into a dire situation. And oh, you yeah. might not come back from it. And I think you're not. How are you not going to take the high road? When uh, yeah, because it cuts real now. Like yeah, this is happening. the last thing you ever say to someone. Exactly right. So yeah, it's. Uh, I appreciated the way all of it was set, and then we get the what I thought was going to be the end of the movie. We actually get like the third act and a half, right? So we'll so we'll get to that, but. I, I love too. It was so great that it wasn't. Yeah, just the bombing mission, and then they go land the planes. I loved all the, this entire sequence, the way it's laid out, the way it's put together, the cutting between the command on the ship, the enemy planes flying around, the SAM missile sites, the all the stuff, all of that was amazing looking. It was, and it, I felt like I was on the roller coaster ride at that moment. And that takes something for a movie to be able to, to get you to do. Cause I'm literally sitting there and I'm like glued to it. And I realized I was, I was like, Holy cow. When's the last time I was really glued to a movie like this? Yeah. I felt that too. Yeah. yeah. Was- One firebirds. I can tell you that. So. I, I was just saying like they're they're They didn't say I am the greatest enough. I will say that. Right. Yes. There, there wasn't I any of that. that was a requirement of flight school, but I guess it's not. I mean, to, to be heard uh, soon, but yeah, no, I, but I like all of this. I like the way it all works out. Tom Cruise opens the door and rooster comes behind and shuts it. And we, blow up fake Chernobyl, whatever the hell this is supposed to be. And it just all sinks below the earth so that it's safe forever, except for all the ground. We just contaminated with that uranium, but whatever, we don't care about the environment anymore. So, I mean, you know, that's the least of our concerns in this movie. Wow, so all contained in the Canyon anyway. <laughs> I mean, right. Right. We don't even know where this is. Like, as far as we know, this is Mars. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. But, but in the nondescript world that this is all taking place in, but I actually, I that's it's kind of a trope, but I appreciated the fact that it was, uh, I had all, always as a kid like oh this is the russians but if you watch that first movie it's not you don't know who they are like it's just guys with black visors and a star they could have been anybody you know like and they purposely left that generic back then mm-hmm. and this is in the 80s when we didn't give a damn so now you know we do and i'm like well i, I kind of appreciate the fact that they just leave it just a generic enemy you know or whatever and i i, I was okay with that i i i think i always kind of figured that it was it they made it as they made it as as much the russians as they possibly generally could in the first one but but the whole thing with the star like the black suits and and the way that they kind of mm-hmm. flew i mean that you know it, it and, and the, I, you know, everything going on at that time politically too it, it would have made sense with kind of how they were handling it. I'll tell you, I interpreted it though, as a kid was, those were just the tie fighter flyers, you know, cause they were wearing the same gear. Like they, it was pretty much star. I was watching star Wars, you know, that's what, what I thought it was. You know what it was? So it was the, 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 the way that they were dressed reminded me of the, the villains in, um, what was it? Not gold finger, uh, golden eye and the way that they, yes. yeah, that was what, it yeah. Reminded me of. And so I think that I always kind of correlated those two. 
Yeah, no, that that's a good that's a good callback. No, but this whole this whole action sequence is is incredible, and it works out. But you know, it's like something bad's about to happen because I looked at my watch and I was like, I know this movie's two hours and eleven minutes. I know when it started because I counted up all the the trailers and stuff. By the way, that Boz Lerman Elvis thing that's happening in my life. So but anyway, for that. yes, uh, y'all y'all need to get ready for that if you don't know what we're talking about yet. But I'm, I know like mm, this movie's got twenty five minutes left, and it ain't gonna be credits because I've seen cruise movies. He doesn't they don't do that and i'm like hmm what's about to happen and then we get the stuff hitting the fan the missiles go after bradley and i'm like is tom cruise about to do what i think he's about is he about to die on screen in self-sacrifice like wow that was that was a moment i did not expect to see where maverick gets shot down on purpose to save his best friend's kid i was braced for someone dying in that fashion and i was I I seriously I seriously felt like we got a whole extra movie in those mm-hmm. last 30 minutes and I was so happy. I really thought the movie was over. They were on their way back to the ship and then we had this whole extra it was like dessert. It was like second mm-hmm. dessert. It was so Yes. Good. Yeah. I I felt like yeah. he had to do something for Rooster. He had to and and that's why I, I felt like, you know, what other way could Maverick go out, right? Either he's gonna he's gonna just what go do this mission and land on the, the aircraft carrier and, and that's gonna be it. That's his last mission forever. You know, they they mm-hmm. said he's not mm-hmm. flying anything else after that's this. That's a good point. So so to me, you know, he, he knew that or, or there was this, this debt to Rooster that he felt that he owed. And what would be a better way to do that than to put his own life on the line and kind of sacrifice and show him like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do this. Um, I, I also loved seeing, I mean, that, that when Rooster just annihilated that, yes. that chopper. That was great. Yes. Man, yeah. the eruption in the, in the theater was phenomenal. Yeah. That was just yeah. so cool. And, and just really made you feel so good. Um, but then of course, seeing him go down, I was concerned I was concerned. I, I, I was genuinely, <laughs> I was genuinely <laughs> concerned that they were just. This is just a repeat. You know, they're just yeah. trying to do something else, and uh, and and maybe Amelia. You know, the, the daughter was going to be like the third Top Gun person. <laughs> that's what was going through my mind. Right. Wow, you you went all kinds of places because when he ejected, all I could think was like, man, Tom Cruise runs fast, but he's got to run about. 50 miles to go catch up with that dude. That's a marathon down that mountain to go I, get the guy. <laughs> I, was, I was potentially the most relieved in that theater when I just saw him rolling and packing up that parachute. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to, to be punctuated by what is some, like it almost felt like an SNL skit. Like yeah, there was some yeah, incredible. Was so good, I saved you. No, well, I saved you. Well, it's good to see you. You know what I mean? Like a whole laugh about it. What were you it. thinking? You told me not to think. Uh, yeah, the whole audience erupted with that. I was like, that was perfect. It like, was that's so yeah. good. And that, that I'll tell you what, though. that It was that scene that really kind of defined its difference in levity versus the first one, if, if we're comparing mm. the two here. I mean, that 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 just, you never would have seen anything like that. There was no point no. at which in that first movie you could have put in anything like this and so that to me this this just added an an entire other layer um that just further blew out the the first one i mean i i you know it's better than the first one i think you know when when you kind of look at everything when you look at everything and and how they kind of handled it all but that scene of of them getting back together and the and the and the humor that was introduced 
was just perfect. It was. Go ahead. Oh no, it was. It 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 gives everything, and it leads to like we say the the extra movie that we get here at the end, the behind enemy lines three Maverick story, where he and Rooster go to that, and we we got to talk about like talk about a really cool scene, and this is some CGI when they fire that horde of Tomahawk missiles to take out that that air way so that you know they can't get any more planes up and they've already got two up they didn't know about but whatever so they'll deal with those later that looked awesome when those missiles land and all that stuff so the fact that they go scout out the base which is of course in chaos and they just kind of casually walk and then kind of start jogging real quick toward that old (laughs) aircraft i was laughing and i was going like man bradley ain't gonna have no idea what in the hell he's about to look at because he's never even been in one of these before. And Tom Cruise is having to tell him, like, this is how we have to air it up and gas it up. And, so, like, you basically have to, like, push the thing and, you know, pop the clutch to get it to start. And then they have to take off on a taxi. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting there just howling, though, going, like, of course, like, we have to end this thing in an F-14. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going up against Su-57s, which I'm like, yeah, I mean, the fact that that is a mismatch is not even saying it right. Like that, that was going to be funny well, to watch. It had to end in an F-14 with Maverick in the, in the, in the front seat and, and Rooster. Rooster in the back. And he had to, yeah. that yeah. was, that brought everything full circle. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, one of the things that I kind of thought was especially genius was how they, they thought ahead to enough to know those Tomahawk missiles coming in um, to take out that runway, but also that, you know, I, I don't know how much room they had. Uh, but the fact that the F-14 has the capability to expand its wings like that and, and essentially give itself that much wider wingspan to be able to get up off the ground that much faster, to, to mm-hmm. play that in and that it could potentially happen with a beat runway and, and kind of missing and, and all these potholes or, or sinkholes at that point, craters, I guess, is what would be yeah. a better description. Um, I thought, you know, to... It was just great. The way it all was pieced together uh, was perfectly orchestrated. And didn't Rooster say something like, what are the wings doing? Or why are the wings? Why are the wings moving? <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, he's never been in a plane that had sweet wings in it or whatever. But you're right. Because Ma- what Maverick is realizing is like, this isn't much longer than the deck of a carrier. I don't have a catapult, but I do have the speed maybe. And yeah. so he hits all the thruster and they get up, of course. And at that point, here come the the c57s and i gotta say i love the dog fighting in this though because yeah. it, it it and they dropped this line a few times like it's not the plane it's the pilot and rooster drops that on him again and that's when maverick's like all right fine so th- they sucker the first one because like the guy's hand signals like don't know what that means have no idea that other guy's moving in the missile lock so he just pulls back and just guns that first one out of the air like well fuck it here we go <laughs> and i love how when he does his move and he gets the missile lock and he fires and that plane basically does a fast and furious stop <laughs> which like yeah, i don't know if that's was- real or not but that's awesome <laughs> And that, that was cool. When we were talking earlier about the hard right break and how, you know, it kind of does expose you. I mean, yes, it does. But if you can stop much faster than everybody else, like he did, <laughs> yeah. you've got the advantage big time. Yeah. And, and I it's like a flying saucer. When he took out that first jet, like that that first, that was the same feeling you got, you know, watching Rocky Four or, or any of the Rocky movies when he finally starts <laughs> being able to get back. I mean, just, okay, here we go. This is, he's going to totally annihilate him. And, and this is it. And it was, it was so exciting to kind of, see exactly how he was going to take him down again and do it all over. And we do have a line, a throwback line to the original Top Gun that Rooster says, which Goose, right? Goose also says, which is, come on, Mav, do some of that pilot shit. 
<laughs> yep. I loved it. I laughed at that. I was like, oh, I'm so glad they called that back. I like that. But again, in a lesser movie, I'd be like, come on. But I'm like, nope, that's exactly what you say right there. Like, yeah. That is perfect. And you know, he outduels both of the planes. He ends up gunning them both down his last 30 rounds. He takes out the thing. I love that too, though, that the, the idea of like, there are de- diminishing munitions actually in the world. You can't just shoot forever. Yeah. And, Which they kind of dismiss in the first one. All right, yeah. There's like, <laughs> not about 4 million it's rounds. Like, it's like the video game afterburner. You're just loading forever. Right? But you know, in real life, no, I had two missiles. Neither of them are any good against the modern airplanes. So I'm going to, have to gun this thing out of the sky and he does and you know they're beat up and then here comes that other one he's like oh shit (laughs) like and they they get away from the first shot and i'm sitting there going i'm like because hangman's begged to go up and they've already told him no and i'm like he gonna get off that deck somehow (laughs) (laughs) coming back to save these dudes because there's no way they're dying now at this point and I, I push it right to the brink. Yeah. Right, right as he drops the missile, the, the next missile comes in and obliterates that plane. I love that. Though. That was a great shot. It's like, it's your savior speaking. Uh, that, that was, was the so line. That was a great yeah. line. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved it though. Cause I mean, they're, they're out of anything to do and there's nothing else they can do, but they're saved just in the nick of time. And so we get the whole, you know, we, we buzz the tower one more time. Cause we get a little call back to that. Of course, cause only <laughs> John Hammond had a cup of coffee that he spilled on himself. That would have been perfect. But yeah, we, we go back, they land on the carrier. They got no front. They land through the, you know, the barricade and all that stuff. And we get the big celebration. And it's, it's a poignant moment too, with him and, and rooster on, on the flight deck, you know, unlike where you know, him and Iceman, it was the, you could be my wingman anytime. No, you can be mine. You know, like, that, that's Apollo and Rocky, you know, to, to go with what you're talking about, Brian. And in this, it's much sweeter. It's much more like Creed and Rocky. If we'd be honest, it's very, very much Creed at that moment. Yeah, I and thought then, it was great, and I and I and I did appreciate. And, and this is where I'm kind of—I don't know if there's going to be a plan for another Top Gun because there's there's a lot of kind of hints, you know, that that Rooster is is more or less kind of like the new Mav. I mean, the way that Rooster uh, embraced um, Hangman the same way that Maverick embraced Ice, and it was yep. the same exact shot. So so it kind of lays the groundwork for like this could easily become something new or something different. It could. But why mess with perfection at this point? I would have said right. the same thing after the first one. Everyone would have said. I tell you, I, I want a spinoff series of Phoenix and Bob. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. I need Phoenix and Bob to have their um, own like. All right, series. I would watch a spinoff of Phoenix and Bob. I would. I would. They they were funny together. Like they they would work. Like no, they, they have to have their own families and everything independent, but they just fly missions together oh or whatever. God. Like I would. I would be, I could watch a movie with Bob in it. <laughs> right. Back me up. Um, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of Bob (laughs) in things. I think Lewis is going to get some work off of this, but no, no, I I dug it. And I love how we go again to the thing that you were talking about earlier, Brian, it's Maverick now has, he has the family that he's sort of always evaded his whole life. It all comes together. Maybe he didn't expect it. He goes to see Penny at the bar. She's gone on a sailing trip with the daughter. Doesn't know what she's coming back. He's like, huh, she ditched me this time. Okay. That doesn't happen much. And then he goes back and I love that it's him. And at first you see him working on that airplane and it's a great reveal shot when, Miles Teller walks in the scene is like, Oh, they're like buds. They're hanging out together now. Like, I love it. It's the father. He didn't yeah. have anymore that he wanted to be. He yeah. always needed a purpose and he needed a, you know, father figure. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. again, only, 
only dropped when Penny rolls up in her in her Porsche and yeah. we go for a little plane ride. I love it. And that that's was a, that's actually, a great plane thing. I didn't realize Cruz was actually flying that he was though. Flying it. Apparently they were in the air for approximately three hours. Wow. Yeah. It's um, his plane. It I don't I think it's right. his plane. Yeah. It's but he he was definitely flying it. And uh Jennifer Connolly had said that, well, they actually, so Tom Cruise wanted to do a barrel roll with her in the back and they couldn't <laughs> get the cameras right. They tried it with a stunt person with Tom Cruise still flying that plane. They tried mm-hmm. it with a stunt person and they couldn't get the right angles to really make it work. So they nixed the barrel roll, but Jennifer Connelly said that she um, still got to spend three hours in the air and that it was awesome. And because Tom Cruise did all the work, she was like, no, it was great. I just got to sit in the back seat and watch the sunset. And it was, it was gorgeous. And it was just a really beautiful, lovely time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great shot. We, we haven't talked much about the music in, in the movie, but I want to ask y'all what you made of the hold my hand Lady Gaga song there at the end when they're making out on the tarmac and then flying off in the plane. I honestly didn't, it didn't even register with me. I, when I saw you mention, well, I saw you real time typing the plot (laughs) (laughs) Lady Gaga. And I was like, wait, that was a Lady Gaga song. I don't know. I think I was so still in the clouds from the entire movie that it just kind of went over my head, I think, but I don't know, Brian, Mm -hmm. do you have, do you you even remember this song? I'm going to be honest with you, Jay, they could have played any song at that point and it would have been great for me, you know? (laughs) Right. True. I mean, I, I I get it. I think she's, I think Lady Gaga has got a great voice. I thought it was, I thought it was a a fine song to pick. You know, I, I, uh, I can't say that there's another one off the top of my head that I think would have been a better for that. Love and feeling. No, I, I, that, would have, <laughs> that would have been the wrong one. Uh, you know, that would. Yeah. There, there, so there is a wrong answer. There's wrong answers. Okay. Um, for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I thought they wrapped it up really well. I do. And I, I thought it was well, it was well put together. At, at least I, I had a, a good time with that. I, the one Republic song is the one I'd actually heard. I had not heard the Lady Gaga song. And when they, I think that was sort of under looping. I said it earlier; they didn't really have a song for the football scene, but that one was actually being played as part of it. But it's so like in the background; it's not playing with the boys out in front like that one was. So I didn't notice it as much. But um, I, I don't know that either of those are going to stand the test of time that the other soundtrack did. And I mean, I don't even think they're trying to, I think they, they found a, a poignant way to end a big, you know, big moment, big smile moment in a movie. And then you get the, the closing credits where we do the flash of every, everybody's doing their sitcom, you know, cheese. And when we learned people had names, we didn't know like Warlock and you know Cyclone and all that. I'm like, who was that? Oh, I, that was just Admiral John Hamm. I mean, like I didn't know what that was, but I, I love that we ended on all of that and kick right into the, you know, the, the theme song again, you've got Faltermeyer and Steve Stevens doing their, their anthem and I, all of that worked out. So well, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Brian, since you're new on the show here, you get to go first. Remember, the popcorn ratings go. The bigger the popcorn, the better the movie, and you can modify it however you like. So what are yours for Top Gun Maverick? It's the biggest one you could possibly get. I mean, this one's right up there. I think for for an Americana 
movies such as Top Gun to then be be able to to produce this kind of sequel um, that really did kind of it, it it I thought it blew out the first Top Gun completely out of the water um, in in so many different ways. So this one absolutely gets the the biggest popcorn you can get. Uh, if that's an XL, that's exactly what I would give this with with all the all the butter and everything else sense. that you'd want. Um, this has got it all. And, and I would highly recommend this movie to anybody that enjoys watching good movies. <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, what about you? <laughs> I like all the movies, even the really bad ones. <laughs> I would give it, I would give it. And one of those extra large, like bottomless popcorn bowls, you know, like, Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Circa Alamo just because that's the one we went to. Um, but they don't sponsor us. But if you want to, Alamo, <laughs> call us. Filmsforpodcast at gmail.com. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I would I would absolutely give this an extra large, bottomless popcorn, hands down. This is one of the best movies I've seen in a while. And I honestly did not go into this movie thinking that I would feel that way after. I knew I it I knew I'd like it because it's it's Top Gun Maverick and you know it's planes and all the stuff that you know you're gonna like, but I just I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. It was as you said, Jay, an over two hour movie. I didn't feel that time at all, and I've watched hour and a half movies that felt like they were four hour movies. And this movie could have gone on for another hour and I would have been in for it, you know, but it was just so, so well done. And the scripting was done so perfectly. The so much attention to detail was paid. I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, Brian and I will absolutely go see it again in the theater, probably IMAX. Um, where, yeah, where, yeah. I, I don't. I don't really go to the theaters often, but we just saw this two days ago, and I'm I'm currently looking for tickets to see it again. Yeah the the first thing I said as soon as the credits rolled were I looked at Brian and I said I would pay to go see this again in a theater. Yeah, that was your text to all of us in the deck chain after all of the exclamations of greatness was like I would pay real money to see this in a theater again. Yeah, I was like, wow. So. I'm going to go back to something Tom Cruise said to us at the beginning of our thing. He came on and thanked everybody for being there. He thanked everybody who put this together over the last, you know, over 10 years. And he said, I hope you like it because we made it for you. And I heard him say that. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting way to phrase that Tom. And then I watched the next two hours and 10 minutes of cinematic awesomeness in front of me. And I'm walking out of the theater and I'm texting, I'm DMing people on Twitter, everybody I know that was remotely interested with this. And my line was, this movie's friggin' amazing. You need to go watch it now. <laughs> like, just go, go, go. Yeah. Because it is a it is a movie concocted for an audience to go and enjoy. And let's just be real for a minute here. You know, we're recording this in May of 2022. And this week has sucked for a lot of people for a lot of very real and awful reasons. And this isn't going to make the people directly affected by that any feel any better right now, but for the rest of us that are 
dealing with that and are also just dealing with just how lousy the last two and a half years have been. Or even if you're like me and you just had a really awful week at work leading up to this, this is the cure the doctor ordered. You can go in. This movie doesn't ask a lot of you. It's going to remind you don't even need to watch the old one. We'll remind you of everything you need to know. And then you'll run home to Netflix and watch it where it's currently streaming or you'll you'll pop out your VHS or whatever. This movie is concocted to take you on a ride, to make you feel good, but also to let you have those moments of feels, whether it's between Ice and Maverick or Penny and, and Maverick or the, the newer characters or Rooster and whomever you want to root for. You can absolutely have a good time with this. Or if you just want to watch a badass action movie with some incredible physical effects and physical stunts, this is your movie. And it looks amazing. It sounds amazing. I, I get, I saw this just in a standard theater. I'm I, first thing I told Rach when I walked in, I was like, we're going to see this at IMAX this weekend. Like I've got to see this on that screen and we've got them here in Charlotte. So I'm definitely hitting that up because this is a movie that I, I, I hear directors sometimes really fight and people like fight. Like, no, I want my movie in a theater. And I would argue there's some things that like you can see at home and it's the same experience. Like I saw Halloween kills at home and in a theater and it was the exact same experience both times. Like I didn't get anything from that. This movie though, it takes me back to when I was much younger and you can only really appreciate something in a theater like this. And this will look awesome on a big TV if you've got one and stuff too, but there's nothing like seeing it in the theater. This movie is an absolute blast. Everybody in it knows exactly what kind of movie they're making and they're having a ton of fun with it. And it's, it's just a, it's just a joy to watch. And so I'm as blown away as anybody that I'm about to drop an extra large popcorn on this and that I'm going to agree with Brian and say, this is way better than the first one. That first one is a razor thin on the plot because again, Tony didn't make Tony made a rock and roll airplane movie. He didn't care about plot and that movie's thin on the plot. And this one, eh, the motivation, like the mission that doesn't even matter. Cause that's not what the story's about. The story's about these people and their relations with each other. And it's just set to the backdrop of, all this other stuff. It's like Friday Night Lights is a television show about football, but it's also not about football at all. It's about the town. And I liken this very much to the experience of watching something like Varsity Blues and then watching something like Friday Night Lights. They're based on the same story, but they're very different tellings of it. And this movie has all the cool stuff you want, but also all the heart too. And it's an absolute blast. So total recommend extra large popcorn, all the butter, Get the extra large Coke Zero, because I did. I was halfway good tonight. And so I'll pay for that at the gym tomorrow, but I don't care because it was worth it. And this movie is totally worth it. And yes, see this in theaters. This is a good one. And I'm so glad we got to do this. Lindsay, thank you for bringing this. Brian, thank you for championing this, that we finally, quote, did something good. And <laughs> so, thank you for having but, me on. It was a pleasure. It was great. Absolutely. What well, will not be the last time, I promise you. We'll have you on for something probably not as good as this, but maybe not as bad as you know, some other things we've done. So, But we'll talk about that later, folks. Of course, you can follow the show's happenings at filmstrippodcast.com. That's where you'll find the distribution points for all of where you can find this podcast, all 300 plus episodes out there in archives for you to enjoy. We've done a little bit of all of it, as we've alluded to here. Some good, some not so good, but even on the bad ones, we have a lot of fun. So appreciate you checking us out. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find us. If you've got the opportunity to leave us a five-star rating, please do so. Share the show on your social medias. You can follow the show's socials at Filmstrip Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We appreciate you retweeting our stuff and sharing it with other folks. As we, We've had this podcast going now for 12 years, and we're just going to keep doing it because it's a lot of fun, and we, we hope you enjoy the fun with us. So for Brian, for Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. 
Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.